Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the paranormal podcast for believers, doubters, and everybody in between. Welcome back. It's uh, it's another week in February, and there's not a lot to say apart from, um, Peter. You covered smells the other week, which yeah, I did. Uh, a lot of I've had a lot of comments from people about that, saying, "Oh, that really." That really resonates and regular listener kath said um that she had come across this incident and um very particularly flowers and tobacco as well and and i I, when we were talking we could relate lots and lots of instances we sort of recalled people going yep flowers and tobacco seem very very common um she was talking about particular incident with a particular well known but rare uh, brand of tobacco which was stopped stopped being manufactured before she smelt it and it related she felt to that person and it came wow. and it went and i thought yep yeah, so many people have got that story i've it's it's made people because sort of quite often we'll cover a topic and people will come up to us and say oh yeah i've thought about that but so many people have said that about smells but it really sort of i think kath's story of something which would be impossible really because it's not made anymore right appears in a room um i just thought that was that was really interesting um and somebody else pointed out on our facebook feed um i didn't reply to you i'm sorry because you sent me some you sent us some great information about how we're still not sure how the the sense of smell works in humans and that's a also a very good point yeah, and it kind of ties into that theme. It, in lots of ways, it's the kind of Cinderella of paranormal experiences. Isn't yeah, it? it is. It is. Yeah. Well, thank you to everyone for your engagement on that topic. Yes, thank you. And keep keep. I'm glad you've engaged in the past. Keep engaging in the future. What's the future? Oh, oh, so, oh sorry, I'm ruining your segue. It's segue, segue isn't it? Sorry, segue. damn it, sorry, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> sorry. Well, actually, when we get into the episode, there may be reasons why you didn't see that coming, Ben. Oh, okay. Um, because this week's podcast, it was kind of inspired by another message we received on social media, uh, which asked us where we got our name, the quantum mechanics, from. And we have mentioned it on the podcast before, but I realised it's been quite a while since we've actually talked about it. Um, so here's here's the potted story of how we came up with the name. So when Ben and I decided to start the podcast, we were talking about the paranormal and that believers, I guess, sometimes come from a point, let's say, of faith or philosophy. Is that a good way of describing it? Yeah. And then the doubters often come from a point uh, where, well, where's the evidence? They come from a scientific point of view. Um, And that led our conversations between me and Ben, probably over a pint, I would have thought. I would have guessed. Yeah, onto some of the weird and unexplained things that are part of the scientific debate. Some of the weirdness and unexplained stuff around quantum mechanics, observer theory. We talk about this all the time, right? When some experiments are observed by humans, they give a different outcome than if they are not being observed. And we thought that in many ways, quantum mechanics is as weird, if not weirder than the paranormal. And hey, could there be a connection? Yeah, completely right. Completely right. When you start thinking about um, quantum entanglement, spooky action at a distance, all those things that are very difficult for science to come up with a really good answer to. And of course, the double slit experiment, which um, we've spoken about many times. Which constantly blows our mind. Yeah. So partly because of all that, we called ourselves the Quantum Mechanics. I mean, partly because we quite thought it was a fun name. Um, And a bit like the band The Police, as far as I know, they didn't have any direct law enforcement experience. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Um, So yes, we are not quantum scientists but we do like to look and try and get our heads around some of the topics and themes that uh, i love this phrase that fit into that wheelhouse yeah that is very fair uh and i thought i would point all of this out because of the topic of today's podcast i'm going to be talking mainly about a book written by a theoretical physicist who specializes in quantum gravity research I'm going to have to stop you there and ask what quantum gravity is. Very good question, Ben. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. No, if anyone's listening to this going, oh, my God, they're going to be banging on about kind of scientific theories for an hour. I've tried to avoid a lot of that. 
um, because it is open to interpretation and because, to be quite frank, I'm working at the limits or probably realistically beyond the limit of my capability. Fair enough. Are you going to insert an 18th century man with a... uh, 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 a a blanket on his head pretending to be a ghost <laughs> that we may end up doing that <laughs> okay. i'll have a story in standby just in case so i would say in terms of how you listen to this episode don't think as me and ben as experts on what we're going to talk about because we're not think of us as two people down the pub grappling to make sense of a topic that is extremely complex and theoretical and if you're like the author of this book, who has much more than a basic knowledge of this stuff, we're not like that. So if you are expert in this field and are listening to what we're saying, kind of scratching your head with your head in your hands going, oh, my God, please be gentle with us. Yeah, yeah. Um, we haven't even got a pint to take the egg off. No, really. But but we do. we always said we wanted to cover the science as as well and there's probably not a huge amount of science around interdimensional big feet big foots big footy big feet uh that's the plural of bigfoot big what's a collective of bigfoots um a misnomer (laughs) 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 but um it is fun to dive into the science side as well because sometimes the science reflects back on the paranormal and you can start stroking your chin going, well, I wonder whether the unified explanation for the paranormal phenomena that we talk about is actually a scientific one. Yeah, indeed. I think that's a good way of putting it. So today's topic, Ben, is time. And a book by theoretical physicist Carlo Rivelli. Now, the book is called The Order of Time. And I'm going to do, I'm going to jump to a chase, jump to the chase of two things it's that really stood out for me after reading it um which is not a reflection of how much i understood it is is what about how many pages it's got (laughs) it wasn't too long and it's beautifully written so it made it, it made it easier what it's taught me is that time is as much to do with philosophy as it is to do with science which will come up as a bit of a theme in the podcast as we go on and the simple the other thing is that we think of time as something mechanical and simple like a hand moving around a clock but it is far more far far more complex than that yeah that's how i think about it i must say yeah and we'll come on to where you think of it that way in a minute well why we all think of it that way in a minute but i thought i came up with a little experiment a little thought experiment if you fancy trying it of course so this experiment is going to involve you ben hello me peter Hello. And you, the listener at home. It's interactive. Kind of is, yeah. Press the red button now. So, Ben, it starts with you. I would like you to think of two random words that would normally not go together. I don't know, like electric banana. Not Don't use that one. Um, don't tell us the words. Just keep them to yourself for now. Um, oh, okay. Yep. You got them? Yep. Okay. So you have your two words, Ben. For you, as soon as you decided what those words were, they were in the past. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For me and our listeners, they're still in the future because we don't know what they are yet. Yeah. Sounds simple, right? Yes. In the past for you, in the future for me and the listener, right? Right. Well, it isn't actually that simple. Your two words are in the past for you, Ben. They're in the future for the listener at home. But for me, Peter, they are both in the past and the future. How so? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. We're done. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Well, if we take it from the listener's perspective, they're in the future because they don't know what the words are yet, right? No. Oh, but they also haven't heard the show yet because we're still in the studio recording it. Yes, but from the perspective of the listener, those words are in the past for me. As the listener, you're listening to this after we recorded and edited it. So, listener, I know what those words are as you listen to this. Oh, yeah. Even though, as I speak, I don't know what the words are. 
Yeah. So for me, the words are both in the future and the past. Right. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. That yes. makes that, sense? Yes, that makes perfect sense, yes. Now, in the future, because Ben hasn't said them out loud in the room we're sitting in, but in the past for me, because if you're listening to this, we recorded it a couple of days ago. Ben, can you put us out of your misery? What were your two words? Sandwich and tyre. Sandwich and tyre. Sandwich tyre. Good. Great. Now, for Ben, me, and you, the listener, Ben's words are in the past for all of us. Oh, yes. Um, I've never, ever thought about things in that particular way. Because being something in the past where it's just happened in my head... Yeah. That feels like the present, in a way. Well... I'm glad you said that, because we're going to come on to that next. Oh. So what seemed to be quite linear and simple is actually complex. We generally think about things in terms of past, present and future. But what is the present? I'm going to do another little experiment on you. If I say the word now, when is it in the present? When my brain thought to say the word or when I said it out loud? Was it in the present at the letter N or O? Certainly when I said the W, I finished the word now. So it would have to be in the past, right? Yeah. It's also a syntactical problem with the word now because now really then means the most immediate moment you can act upon something. I guess, but when is that moment? Yeah. So for argument's sake, just to kind of keep it simple because we will get kind of bogged down in it otherwise... If we say the present in the scenario I'm talking about is when I get to the middle letter of the word now, when I get to O and say it out loud, right? Okay. We'll assume that's the present for now. In the O point in the word, for me, that was in the present. But it wasn't in the present for you, Ben. It was in the future. And that's because it left my mouth, travelled to this microphone in front of me, It then went down a wire to the machine in which we record into. It then left that machine down a wire into a headphone amplifier. It then travelled from the headphone amplifier down the wire to your headphones, Ben. And then your brain processed the word now. So when I first said it, even though we're talking about fractions, it was in the present for me, but... It wasn't in your present. It was in the future for you because you hadn't received it. Yes. Yes. I wish I had a whiteboard here, but yes. (laughs) Um, So this all happens so quickly that for you and me, Ben, in this room, it seems simultaneous, right? Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is, if there is a now, it is different in terms of time for you and me, in my example. Mm. Because I said the word, it was in the present, but it took longer to get to you. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Which does raise the question, does now the present even exist? Oh, boy. (laughs) You wish you hadn't had that extra drink last night, aren't you? Well, yeah, because it's the finite thing between what is about to happen and what did happen. Yeah. Well, look, we're going to return to some of these themes as we go through, uh, as we explore Ravelli's book, The Order of Time. But let's start with something we have talked about on the podcast before, how time is affected by height. So Ravelli says, It is not just the clock that slows down. Lower down, all processes are slower. Two friends separate with one of them living in the plains and the other going to live in the mountains. They meet up again years later. The one who has stayed down has lived less, aged less. The the mechanism of his cuckoo clock has oscillated fewer times. He has had less time to do things. His plants have grown less. His thoughts have had less time to unfold. Lower down, there is simply less time than at altitude. But it's imperceptible though, isn't it? It is to us, yes, but it it is different. Yeah. 
So I, I remember you, I mean, we'll talk about it because other factors come into play, but I remember you talking about on Concord, they had to yeah. keep resetting the clocks. We'll come yeah. on to that. So that also poses the question, and a bit like our thought experiment we just did, when the man who had lived in the mountains and the one at ground level meet, the watches on their wrist will show different times. So which one is time? Oh, boy. Now, the book does go into mathematical equations and more complicated theories. Some of them I understood after a few reads. Some I'm still a little bit cloudy on, I have to say. Um, so, though I am sure that many of you out there may grasp them much better than me, I'll try to avoid going into detail on them. It seems unfair that it, it took me a number of reads to simply get the gist of something that I would expect you to get it in the kind of <laughs> the fraction of a second you've got to think about it before I say my next words. But one of the concepts that I'd never thought about in connection with time is heat. No, I never thought about that. Now, a, Pr a Prussian professor called Rudolf Clausius grasped the fundamental issue at stake, formulating a law that was destined to become famous. If nothing else around it changes, heat cannot pass from a cold body to a hot one. Yeah. The crucial point here is the difference from what happens with falling bodies. A ball may fall but it can also come back up by rebounding, for instance. Heat cannot. This, this blew my mind, this is the only basic law of physics that distinguishes the past from the future. Oh. I n um... None of the others do. Not Newton's law governing the mechanics of the world, not the equations for electricity and magnetism formulated by Maxwell, Einstein's on relativistic gravity, nor those of quantum mechanics devised by Heisenberg, Schrodinger and Dirac. Not those for elementary particles formulated by 20th century physicists. None of these equations distinguish the past from the future. If a sequence of events is allowed by these equations, so the same sequence can run backwards in time. Yeah, okay. In the elementary equation of the world, the arrow of time appears only where there is heat. Yeah, I mean, the basic point is all the mathematical equations that involve time, this was my understanding of what I was reading, do work forwards as well as backwards, so there's no past and present. Um. However, the only one that does relates to heat. The link between time and heat is therefore fundamental. Every time a difference is manifested between the past and future, heat is involved. In every sequence of events that becomes absurd, if projected backwards, there is something that becomes heated up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So... So we've got two things now. Height affects time. Heat is an important factor that shows the flow of time could be a one-way street, past to future. Then we have speed, and that's where Einstein comes in. Ten years before understanding that time is slowed down by mass, Einstein had realised that it was slowed down by speed. The consequence of this discovery for our basic intuitive perception of time is the most devastating of all. The fact itself is quite simple. So if we go back to the two friends from earlier, the one in the mountains and one on the plains, respectively, let's ask one of them to stay still and the other one to walk around. Time passes more slowly for the one who keeps moving. As before, the two friends experience different durations. The one who moves ages less quickly. His watch marks less passing of time. He has less time in which to think. The plant he is carrying takes longer to germinate, and so on and so on. For everything that moves, time passes more slowly. So what does that say about... I mean, you might you probably don't know the answer, but I can't help thinking the world moves quite fast. But other planets maybe move at different 
speed. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And that's there's a the concept of space time, which again, there's lots of equations. I started looking at diagrams that had kind of cones on them and weird kind of things illustrating times that formed some beautiful patterns but didn't really make much sense in my brain no but it yes you're right the gravitational pull so in, in a in a earth term um we've got height we've got heat and we've got speed all of those factors alter time for an individual Okay, I'm already. Uh, I'm drawing diagrams in my head, but this is fascinating. And this ties in a little bit to our experiment earlier. What is now? What is the present? If we were to ask, are these two stones at the same height in interplanetary space? The correct answer would be it's a question that doesn't make sense because there isn't a single notion of same height throughout the universe. Mm hmm. If we ask whether two events, one on Earth and the other on Proxima B, are happening at the same moment, the answer would be, it is a question that doesn't make sense, because there is no such thing as the same moment definable in the universe. The present of the universe is meaningless. Ah, <laughs> uh, I see, yes. Um, and there, there's a good bit in the book, but... I, I was trying to get my head around it, but he uses this example of if someone was on this planet Proxima B and you were looking for a telescope. This is the thing with kind of stars and the way light travels. Theoretically, there's a way that you could be looking at me, at Proxima B, through your telescope, Ben, but I could have actually returned back to mm. Earth and be standing next to you and seeing myself in that telescope, mm, mm. which is just mind-blowing, right? And there's also uh, the mind-blowing theories around black holes. Now, I'm not going to go into those because, you know, we haven't got 15 hours and my brain's not... Brian Cox isn't here. Yeah, but if we had Brian Cox was here, he might be able to do it in the 20 seconds I've got, but we'll see. Um, because of its mass, a black hole slows time to such a degree that on its border, time stands still. So... We've just said that the present doesn't really exist, but it might do in a black hole. <laughs> so in order to exit a black hole, you would need to move towards the present rather than the future. Uh, um, that silence is me just thinking about I, 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 You're right to think about it. I mean, what it's illustrating is what we thought might be as simple as just our little watch ticking one second after the other. You open up a huge minefield, right? Now, the earlier parts of the book are really showing us that our mechanical linear view of past, present and future of time does not make sense. Time passing at the same speed for all is not in line with what is actually going on. And there is some history of why we perceive time in this way. And it's actually quite a relatively quite a modern phenomena that for centuries we have divided time into days and days into hours. However, for most of those centuries, hours were longer in the summer than in the winter. We divided 12 hours from dawn to sunset. That's crazy. It was only in the 14th century that our lives started to be regulated by mechanical clocks. And with the advent of technology, there was a shift between the need to work on the old way of seeing hours divided by dust to dawn to a more standardised way of measuring it. So if you think of a sundial, it's the difference between, in a way, the yeah. sundial and the watch, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was imagining, yeah. Now, a lot of this was driven by the advent of trains. Before trains, <clears throat> even in a country as relatively small as Britain, there were different times all over the country. In Scotland, where there is less daylight in the winter than in London, in a, if we measured it in a modern hour, an hour at the kind of height of winter would actually have to be an hour and a half. Wow. But um, modern life would be impossible. Yeah, it would. And that's why it changed. You and never it, know what time Love Island was on. You never know. But interestingly... Um, 
there's a, an interesting bit. I'll, I'll, ca- I'll carry on a little bit of the history in a minute, but there's an interesting piece in it that says that Einstein, oh, this was going on, this kind of shift, seismic shift, was going on around the time that Einstein had his first job. And his first job was working in a train station. <laughs> no. So the author is not saying he knows for sure, but he kind of postulates that maybe this is what kind of sparked Einstein's fascination with time. This almost shift. Oh, that's such a that's such a neat idea. Yeah, really is, isn't it? Well, in 1883, a compromise was reached with the idea of dividing the world into time zones, standardising time in each zone, which meant clocks could be synchronised and things like train timetables would work without you needing to have a maths degree. Because you're right, can you imagine? No, yeah. Which seems uh, like a nice segue towards quantum mechanics. (laughs) Now, we like to mess about with what could be going on with the paranormal. Quantum mechanics likes to mess around with the concepts of time. Ravelli writes, The three fundamental discoveries that quantum mechanics has led to are these. Granularity, indeterminacy, and the relational aspects of physical variables. Each one of these demolishes further the little that was left of our idea of time. So if we're clinging on to a little bit of sense, it's about to go out the window (laughs) even more. The time measured by a clock is quantified. That is to say, it acquires only certain values and not others. It is as if time were granular rather than continuous. The quantitization of time implies that almost all values of time do not exist. If we can could measure the duration of an interval with the most precise clock imaginable, we should still find that the time measured takes only certain discrete special values. It is not possible to think of durations as continuous. We must think of it as discontinuous. I'm going to try and explain this in a minute. Not as something which flows uniformly, but as something which is certain senses jumps, kangaroo-like, from one value to another. So it's not a, in my mind, I'm saying it's not a smooth transition. It's jumping. Okay. So that means, is that because maybe we don't understand the, the, the states in between the jumps? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. In other words, a minimal interval of time exists. Oh, I see. The second discovery made by quantum mechanics is indeterministicity. I can't say a word! <laughs> indeterministicity. Uh, inter- I'm going to say that. Is interdeterminacy. <laughs> is in- interdeterminacy. Thank you, Ben. It is not possible to predict exactly, for instance, where an electron will appear tomorrow. Between one appearance and yeah. another, the, el- the electron has no p- precise position. Yeah. As if it were dispersed in a cloud of probability. So this is getting a bit of Schrodinger's cat, right? It is. Even the distinction between past, present and future thus becomes fluctuating, indeterminate. Just as a particle may be diffused in space, so too the difference between past and future may fluctuate. An event may be both before and after another one. When an electron collides with an object, say the screen of an old television set with a cathode tube, for example, the cloud of probability which we conceived of it collapses and the electron materialises at a point on the screen. Yeah? Yeah. Producing one of the luminous dots that goes on into making a TV image. Mm -hmm. But it's only in relation to the screen that this happens. So, again, that seems Schrodinger's cat to me. Yes, The yes. cat is both alive and dead until you can observe what state it's in. Yeah. So, my bare little brain interpreted this as granularity. Time is not continuous. It kind of jumps, like, I guess, the ticking of a clock of a hand. Yeah, I. when you say it like that, I think of it as like a 35mm film. Okay, that's good. Yeah, that's, that's a good analogy. The, ind- the word I can't say indeterminacy to carry the analogy in between those granular points so in between those those uh those jumping of the film in your example Mm. what happens to time is it in the past or the future 
or is it in both? It's a bit like the experiment we did earlier. Before Ben told us his two words, for me, those words were both in the past and the future. This past or future state only gets resolved in relation to something else. So again, back to our experiment earlier, when Ben's words were both in the past and future for me, that only got resolved when you at home, the listener, heard those words. Then they became fully in the past for all of us. Yeah. And it's difficult to work out that precise moment when they stopped being yeah. in one state and became the other. Because that you'd have to know what the present was, wouldn't you? Yeah. And that would mean, if we take our analogy, and I think I'm right, that would mean the present would only exist when you, the listener at home, heard that word earlier. That would be the only present. But if we follow this theory, it was in the past for you when you thought about it, thought of the words, and then when we all heard it, then it moved into the past for us. So it depends on what you're interacting with, yeah? I mean, this all makes sense, but blimey. It's a mind screw. It is. It? it really is. So I think what we're talking about is right. But as I said earlier, in terms of my understanding and interpretation, I feel reading the book, and I've read it and you haven't, so it must be even worse for you. I am barely clinging onto the mountain ledge with my fingernails. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at the bottom with those Bigfoots. <laughs> this passage tries to sum up where we are. There is no single time. There is a different duration for every trajectory, and time passes at different rhythms according to place and according to speed. It is not directional. The difference between past and future does not exist in the elementary equations of the world. In this blurred view, the past of the universe was in a curious particular state. The notion of the present does not work. In the vast universe, there is nothing that we can reasonably call present. So he does say in the book, so after all this, what is left of time? <laughs> Do you come away feeling like we've put the, there's a structure there, but, and it's hard for us to know what the answers are. are we, is this basically, this is the question, but what's the answer? Yeah, basically. because And he's putting forward some theories that are based on um, or theories in terms of our perception, I think, which is why I said it's more a philosophical discussion in a way than a scientific one. Because, you know, if you, th if you go back to uh, the way they used to measure 12 hours in a day by the amount of basically daylight that was in that day, you know, you start, if you shift from that perception to it's something that's on your watch that has a fixed amount of time, totally changes the way you look at the world, doesn't mm, it? And some mm. people would argue it takes you away from the natural world. Yes, yes, they would. Yes. Because, you know, the the in that old way of looking at time, time was um, measured by sunlight and the seasons. And... Whereas for us, it's on watches and time zones. And we were animals built to work on the seasons. Correct, yeah. Which is probably why people struggle with modern life. Yeah, yeah. Now, there is the other bit in the book that totally blew my mind, and again, it's another philosophical way of thinking about things. There is a chapter in the book that says, the world is made of events, not things which really changes how you look at more than just time, I think, just life in general. I must say that at this point that I know it's really hard to explain some of this stuff, but Ravelli is such a poetic writer, which given the complexity of the subjects makes the book a joy to read. So I definitely would advise you go and read it. He, he talks about this theory of events, not things. He said time, as Aristotle suggested is the measure of change. Different variables can be chosen to measure that change. None of these has all the characteristics of time as we experience it. 
But this does not alter the fact that the world is in a ceaseless process of change. The entire evolution of science would suggest the best grammar for thinking about the world is that of change, not of permanence, not of being, but of becoming. The difference between things and events in, is that things persist in time. Events have a limited duration. So he said a stone is a prototypical thing. We can ask ourselves and know where it will be tomorrow, how it will look. Conversely, a kiss is an event. Makes no sense to ask where the kiss will be tomorrow. <laughs> the world is made up of a network of kisses, not stones. I think I get what he's saying. So he's saying even the things that we think of as things, the most solid things, are hard rock. Mm. It's only because we don't perceive it change that we think of it as a thing, whereas a kiss, we think of it as an event because it's gone as soon as it's happened. But actually, the process for both the rock and the kiss are exactly the same. There are, such, there are no such thing as things. We should look at them as events. And what happens if you kiss a stone? Oh, I got the wrong end of the stone. <laughs> yeah, no, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. But that's our perception as animals. That isn't how the world perceives itself, though, is it? No, exactly. So he's saying everything in the world, everything is in a process of alteration or destruction. Yep, that makes sense. It's not permanent, nothing. There is nothing in the universe that is permanent. It might be all, you know, going through its processes at different times to other things, but it's not permanent. Yeah. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. And we talk about that a lot when somebody passes away, don't we? We sort of know that philosophically we talk about them going back to stardust or whatever yeah i mean he says this bit if by time we mean nothing more than happening then everything is time there is only that which exists in time we say that an event is or has been or will be we do not have the grammar adapted to say that an event has been in relation to me but is in relation to you. So that goes back to our experiment. We don't have the language. Yeah, syntactically we're challenged in this space, I see. Yeah, and he yeah. talks about the fact that we even use language in, you know, past and present tense. So it's, yeah. it's, it's always wired into our language to think in that way. Mm. And then when you put that in line with the, you know, the watch on your wrist, it totally has distorted or perverted how time actually works yeah i'm going to return um to heat and energy now we mentioned earlier that there is only one scientific equation that shows time moving in one direction and this ties in to thinking about things as events rather than permanent objects like a rock he explains it with um a pile of wood a pile of wood lasts for a long time if left alone. It is not in a state of maximum entropy because the elements of which it is made, such as carbon and hydrogen, are combined in a very particular manner. They're ordered to give form to the wood. Entropy grows if these particular combinations are broken down. This is what happens when wood burns. Its elements disengage from the particular structures that form wood and entropy increases sharply. But the wood does not start to burn on its own. It remains for a long time in a state of low entropy until something opens the door that allows it to pass to a higher state. A pile of wood is in an unstable state like a house of cards, but until something comes along to make it do so, it does not collapse. So again, that seems to tie into that theory of things are in a constant change but they change at different times until you interact with the match on the wood it doesn't change and that most of those destructive forces that we're talking about that will break down the rock that will get the the wood on fire they all involve heat and entropy yeah i'm trying to think about how this might relate to the double slit experiment but i haven't worked that out yet no, I cold those thoughts because I'd like to kind of 
mull how it might relate to the paranormal at the end. The entire coming into being of the cosmos is a gradual process of disordering, like the pack of cards that begins in order and then becomes disordered, like through shuffling. There are no immense hands that shuffle the universe, does this mixing by itself. Vast regions remain trapped in configurations that remain ordered, until here and there new channels are opened through which disorder spreads. The entire universe is like a mountain that collapses in slow motion, like a structure that very gradually crumbles. Traces of the past exist, and not traces of the future, only because entropy was low in the past. There can be no other reason, since the only source of the difference between past and future is the low entropy of the past. Does that make sense? That does make sense, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've heard that as being the long, cold heat death of the universe. Yeah, so yeah, I think that's right. And this, Ben, is where it gets interesting regarding the future. It says, to a large extent, the brain is a mechanism for collecting memories of the past in order to use them continually to predict the future. That makes sense. If someone throws something for us to catch, our hand moves skillfully to the place where the objects will be in a few instants. The brain, using past impressions, has very rapidly calculated the future position of the object that is going to be flying towards us. The possibility of predicting something in the future obviously improves our chances of survival, and consequently, evolution has selected the neural structure that allows this, we are the result of this selection. This being between past and future events is central to our mental structure. This, for us, is the flow of time. Which, well, that's really interesting, isn't it? And I, well, Maybe we'll come on to premonition in a minute, because it, it does kind of make you think about premonition. Yes, it does, yeah. The space memory combined with our continuous process of anticipation is the source of our sensing time as time and ourselves as ourselves. That concept, Ben, made me think about premonitions, probability. In the example the author uses of someone throwing a ball, if someone throws a ball and we can, by using the experience of the past or our memories, use those memories to calculate what is going to happen in the future, I mean, we get our hands into what we think is the right position for the ball, right? Yeah. So we can catch it. It's, I guess that's probability, right? Because there is a probability. It's more probable that it's going to be there. There are occasions when it won't be there. You might get a gust of wind, right? Or you a dog might run along and grab the ball before you catch it. But in terms of probability, it's likely, you know, to be at my chest level when you throw it to me. So I have a premonition of where that's going to be. And that did me make me think about other types of premonition, things like remote viewing. Could explain why remote viewing doesn't work particularly well in predicting the future. Because actually all you're doing is using probability to make a call of what might be going on for what you're trying to interpret it i know it's more complex than that but that's interesting i see what you're saying but what it might explain more uh thoroughly are those experiments where people seem to be able to react to an image before they've been shown the image yes yes because they're using some kind of probability mm. yeah and it might explain why a lot of those experiments, I can't remember in the experiment that you're mentioning because we did cover that a while, but they, they are quite close, aren't they? It's like a 60-40. But actually yeah. we might be discounting our abilities of clever, intellectual, thought process driven, maybe even instinctive premonition that has been so built into our DNA from our early times that it's just part of us. Yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. Um, yeah, I was thinking about the experiment where people have a visceral re reaction to a gun or a flower before they see it. Um, and people can't understand how you would know something that's in the future. But what you're talking about is if you sort of take away the fact that the word future doesn't exist, it becomes a lot more... 
Well, it's not future doesn't exist, but um, it's less of a unpredictable thing. Yes. Well, I mean, I guess the simplistic way of describing it, as human beings, we are in a constant process of using the past, our memories, to predict the future. Mm, mm, mm. So we must be reasonably good at it, otherwise we wouldn't keep learning to do it. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That does make sense. Although it makes no sense in terms of, like, just walking out and buying a a sandwich because um, that's so mundane compared to what you're talking about. And I keep thinking, like, premonition and stuff, yes, I think it, it, it could explain that, but you'd have to you'd have to sort of go through some machinations to kind of take different cases and such. But there's something there which makes me think that um, perhaps the old ghost stone tape theory thing, it makes that mm, sound... I saw feel that stone like, tape. Yeah, it feels, makes it feel more possible, doesn't it? Well, especially when you kind of think about it in connection to this idea of en- energy and entropy and heat. Yeah. That maybe that almost like like in his example there's that cold piece of the universe that's waiting for something to set it back into motion that could be a, a quite a neat explanation of stone tape theory that by interacting with it because it's very much from your individual perspective is also what he's saying time by interacting with it in some way maybe in a way we don't know it restarts the tape, as it were, and you see the ghost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in that respect, it doesn't seem too far away from what you were saying before about that um, changing states with an initiator. Yeah. It's just understanding why perhaps eyes do it on the double slit and maybe they do it with ghosts, but um, I was thinking on the double slit there was that, idea that um somebody tried it with starlight and the starlight seemed to be seemed to understand that it was going to be observed or not yeah but that starlight left millions of years ago but from what you've been saying there's no such thing as millions of years ago no um because there's no set time for the universe yeah and that that's that's a really big thing to get your head around that is a really big thing to get your head around but it also made me think it could explain the dual slit experiment oh explain it yeah right we're going to crack that in the next five minutes all right <laughs> teaser alert <laughs> yeah teaser alert jesus we're gonna to have to write write a really good description of this we've solved the double slit but it did make me think of this relationship with time almost being the only way i can describe it is personal to you you know what i mean mm, mm. that that would make sense that it does gives a different result in being observed mm-hmm. yes it would yes it would because that is one of the factors he's talking about here <clears throat> yes and the only reason I know it's been observed is because I'm accepting that someone has told me that they have observed that through third hand evidence yeah and so your own perception and time uh Okay, I don't even know how to finish that because that is so... My brain went down a weird... <laughs> yeah, no, it didn't when you were saying it. I just wanted to say to your end point, that makes sense. That's yeah. why for somebody who doesn't observe it, it gives a different result. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> if you think of the person who doesn't observe it as an entity, he's got to be fed something else. Yes, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's the sound of me hitting my head on the microphone. <laughs> we cracked it. Um, I'm going to do a quick summary and then maybe we can just kind of try and get our head around it. I, I hope you've stuck with us on this journey. I know it's complicated, but actually that's the point, right? Time is not just tick, 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 tick on your watch. It's incredibly complicated. I mean, it's not the same for everyone. There are lots of factors that prove that's the case. Height, speed, heat, all those things. The concept of present is equally difficult to pin down does the present exist is there only the past and future which seems likely from my reading of this book the quantum stuff just adds another spanner into the traditional view of time right 
things can be in the past and the present at the same time as we did in the thought experiment earlier or maybe in neither the past present or future a bit like schrodinger's cat you know then that's where we come in we've got to interact with it to make it happen i love that point about we should view things not as things but events that nothing is permanent everything changes in connection with heat entropy there are connect that connects the whole concept of time it just i don't know it makes you look at the world in a very different way just that that sentence think of everything as an event that time varies dependent on heat and entropy we've talked about which follows that time's progress could be dependent on our interaction this kind of what we were talking about with the dual split there which i think is really interesting and many of these points ben did actually make me think about simulated reality. Yeah, yeah. If we take the stereotypical analogy of, we, you know, we often say, oh, it's a computer game. I know, you know, modern thinking seems to think that if it was a real simulated reality, it would be a historical one. But let's, well, I guess this could work with either. You know, the concept of time is not the same for everyone. That works in yeah. computer simulation could be true for characters in the game a bit like his point about there are bits of the universe that are cold waiting for something to happen that's almost like a character in a computer simulation right Mm -hmm. until he's interact or he or she is interacting with the person who's exploring the simulation time stops right and then when they get within a certain position time starts up again and it also ties in with this idea that time travels in one direction from past to future because when somebody new plays the game or when somebody loses and starts again time resets but our memory of it and he said memory is the big important thing that's completely wiped Hmm. but it could also explain some level of why we're so driven by premonition yeah 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 no it would i'm just uh the reason i was quiet there i'm just trying to i'm trying to work out why the other bit is like i said if this is the question what is the answer and the answer is in a piece of code that is just beyond the ability for the piece of code that we're running in to understand possible yeah maybe yeah yeah. The equivalent of like my light bulb will turn on from Alexa, but the light bulb has no understanding of what Alexa is. Yeah. But Alexa has similar technology to the light bulb. Yeah. Really clumsy analogy, but you no, see no. what I'm getting to. Yeah, no, I do, totally. And it involves height, speed and entropy. So well done. <laughs> oh thank you. Well, um I didn't plan it that way, but yes, yes, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. I'll have my Nobel Prize. <laughs> well, I'm gonna just leave you this was a lovely bit one of my favorite bits in the book and it kind of highlights the beautiful writing of uh, Carlo Rivelli he says we are the products of long of a long selection process of chemical biological and cultural structures that at different levels have interacted for a long time in order to shape the funny process that we are about which we understand very little by reflecting at ourselves in the mirror We are more complex than our mental facilities are capable of grasping. The hypertrophy of our frontal lobes is considerable and it has taken us to the moon, allowed us to discover black holes and to recognise that we are the cousins of ladybirds. But it's still not enough to allow us to explain ourselves clearly to ourselves. Our thinking is prey to its own weakness, but even more so to its own grammar takes only a few centuries for the world to change from devils angels and witches to atoms and electromagnetic waves Mm. it takes only a few grams of mushrooms for the whole of reality to dissolve before our eyes before reorganizing itself into a surprisingly different form all these guys they do like the mushrooms i can see why (laughs) yeah because those um psilocybin uh realities are alternate realities which all seem relatively equal to each other so um 
what do I mean by that? What I, where I was getting to, because these are all such complex things, is yes, the universe does rearrange itself when you take hallucinogens, but there are uh, um, constants within what people report. And perhaps to just to reflect back what you were saying earlier, perhaps that is just a um, uh, the uh the agent which causes the change in the substance so it's your match on your log again yeah that's all it is yeah 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 exactly exactly well it might have been tough going this week so i really appreciate i feel like i've come to a lecture (laughs) i know i kind of i did slightly bite off more than i could chew so um uh what shall i do next week um (laughs) wow uh i think um, i well, we haven't had. How could this? Before we go, how could this explain eighteenth-century man running around in a, uh, a a a blanket? Yeah, let's go for that. Actually, I was listening to um, uh, James O'Brien's Mystery Hour. Oh yeah. Um, which, uh, if you're outside the UK or don't listen to it, it's really good format. But it's, it's really simple. It's a radio program. We've talked about it before. People phone in with a question and then they ask if any of the audience has got the answer and then we kind of work out whether we get there and somebody posed a question but then i kind of i didn't hear the end of it so i don't know what the answer is but now i'm dying to know someone posed the question when was the first time that the image of a ghost as a sheet first came about oh that's such a good question why that's such a good question yeah well you know the internet meme is because they're all people who died while changing their bed covers (laughs) makes Um, as much sense as anything else um i think it's partly to do with um well it is definitely to do with the cultural references around them glowing and it's almost like a fancy dress cheap fancy dress Mm. way that's what i thought but if anyone out there knows because i don't think they uh they got an answer to it on the radio show and I they bet, don't they don't go back to questions so i really want to know i bet i don't know who does know go on james oh james the lawyer come on you've got to tell us just go on our social puts all out of our misery i'm going to text him after this cool good so before we go i just want to say i can't recommend that book enough i've tried my best to make simplicity out of it probably as simple as i could make it apologize if i got a few bits wrong in there and you're you're a scientist sitting at home going oh my god hopefully you got something out of it it just made me think of the world in a completely different way and time in a different way the book is by carlo Rivelli. it's called the order of time it's by penguin books uh i think it's about 10 pound for a paperback kindle version of fiverr so well worth it he's got some other books which i'm now going to delve into as well <laughs> Thank, I, I'm blown away. There's so much to think about there. Um, thank you. Uh, it was quite. I'm now worried that I don't understand time in any. I thought I did, you know, not not existentially, but I'm now just going to be driving home when my sat nav says four minutes to destination. <laughs> I'm like, you don't know what four minutes is, mate. That's but four- well, if it's any consolation to you, Ben, this guy is like the prominent quantum gravitational specialist you know he he is one of the gods of this thing he doesn't understand what time is he admits it himself and i'm just driving a car infected with a gremlin it does actually that point does kind of it's amazing that our universe and lives are so affected by two things that we do not understand and that's gravity and time individually and together mm, mm. That kind of blows your mind in a way. Shows how far we've got to go, rather than we always assume how far we've come. That's a good, that's a good message. Yeah. Make more scientists, people. Yeah, yeah. More scientists who write in that poetic tone as well, so everybody else can kind of understand it a little bit better would be good as well. Good. All right. Well, we will uh, return in the future or in the past next week on the quantum mechanics thank you for listening i'll see you have seen you will be seeing you at some one of those things then okay bye bye
Are you the quantum mechanics?